exciting. If you can understand Spanish, it's close enough. <laughs> God. Bye-bye, any it's of the our logic Spanish that I assume <laughs> NFL executives have been using. So hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. The Super Bowl is here, it's going to be broken down piece by piece here and we're going to tell you everything you need to know about what you're about to see. So hey, we got Connor here, we got Sean. Hello. And we've got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on lads? How's all down in Cork, Ronan? Yes, we'll tell you everything you need to see. You won't even need to watch the Super Bowl. You'll be so informed about what exactly is going to happen. So Sean will sing Usher songs at the halfway point of this uh, episode. <laughs> uh, but yeah, down here in Cork, uh, things are pretty quiet. Uh, met up with a uh, friend of the podcast, Marcus, to watch the rugby. Ireland are good at rugby again, just in time for the World Cup to have been four or five months ago. That's uh, kind of standard, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, but uh, other than that, uh, quiet enough. Looking, doing some stuff at work. But uh, yeah, looking forward to the Super Bowl combination of the season coming up now and yourself sean how is waterford yeah grand yeah we uh helped my wife sarah begin the process of buying a car yesterday we went to a dealership and looked at things and was very grown up and i asked if i i realized the only thing i ever learned in school about cars is that they have a kind of defined depreciation rate and i that was in accounting so it's literally the only question I could actually ask that sounded anyway <laughs> smart was what the depreciation rate was. But uh, given you yeah. were buying a second-hand car, should you not have been able to work that out yourself? Uh, well, I would have had to know what the market price of new cars was, and no. apparently, so we were getting a, a Dacia Sandero, and apparently they changed models in 2021. So the so the current price is no indication of the value of older versions. Your investments car. may go up as well as down. <laughs> well. You know, first thing you learn in uh, financial advice school is to trust the car dealer, of course. Yeah, yeah. I always, ta- I always take what they say at face value. I think that's the safest way to approach it. <laughs> Just like I always buy my cars. There, there was, uh, to be fair to the guy, he was very open, but there was one point where he's like, "This guy." We were talking about going to a second dealership to look at another car, and then he, you could see he was trying to find ways to convince us not to go, uh, being like, "Oh, I don't know, they're independent. <laughs> I don't know if I trust an independent dealership." and Oh, they're not showing the reg on the car on the on the website. That means there's something dodgy going on. And it was like, okay, that's the first time you've crossed over into being a slimeball salesman. <laughs> um, so yeah. please, otherwise, please no revert back. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully not a listener after that description. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, if he if he if he was, he isn't anymore. <laughs> Put it that way. <laughs> Uh, very good. We'll move on to the news, I suppose. Carching, co- the coaching carousel has kept on spinning. Seattle have hired Baltimore defensive coordinator Mike McDonald to be their head coach. Um, look, obviously, they're sitting in a division with San Francisco and the Rams, who both have pretty kind of high-powered offenses, so they want to try and shut them down. It probably helps, given you know how Baltimore absolutely spanked the 49ers earlier in the season and that that's going to help them. But they have a couple of decisions to make. Obviously, him coming in, he's going to have to make a call at quarterback. He's going to have to pick his offensive coordinator. Uh, there's a couple of question marks still knocking around that that will kind of extend into the offseason and into the draft. And Baltimore promoted their linebackers coach, Zach Orr, to uh, defensive coordinator. Any relation to Connor Orr? Do you know if it's? I don't believe so. Ah, fair enough. That's unfortunate. Uh, Washington have hired Dallas defensive coordinator Dan Quinn as their head coach because they they looked at that playoff game and they thought, mm, we want some of that. Uh, they're also bringing in Cliff Kingsbury to be the offensive coordinator because that 
went really well when he was in the NFL the last time. Hopefully him at OC rather than head coach will help because he's found his success there but has looked a little bit flummoxed when running both sides of the ball. And uh, Dallas defensive backs coach Joe Whit's going to be their defensive coordinator. Uh, they have high picks. They've got the number two overall as well as the picks they picked up from getting rid of Young and Sweat. So there's a lot to look at there uh, for them as a developing franchise with new leadership, new ownership, trying to kind of move away from the the we'll say the the spotted history of the team. Uh, so we'll start with Seattle. What do you feel about this one, Fitz? Are you happy with Mike McDonald? He has had a very good defense in Baltimore. I think the big thing is it's it's a big swing. It's obviously probably the second biggest name out there. Uh, obviously Ben Johnson was probably the the bell of the ball, but then the whole thing fell apart from him. Uh, and I had some relation to Washington as well. I could probably talk about that briefly when we get to the Washington stuff. Uh, but look, look, I think, you know, he can, he's obviously quite young. You're going from the oldest head coach in the NFL to the youngest. That's a pretty big swing. And you're now talking about someone who's obviously had a lot of success in a short amount of time, uh, both at the college level and then coming back to Baltimore and having a really effective defensive uh the defense almost straight out last year and certainly this year taking another step up and being the best in the league so you know like we have seen some similar coaches like not work out before <laughs> you know the chargers having issues like that uh, recently uh but you know i think that means that the decision at oc and a qb will probably be the big issue i think that the, the thing that they're hiring him for is basically because mcdonald was a he was a shanahan offense killer uh, his defense and so the hope is that by bringing in him and hopefully some talent that can fit his scheme that they can get that done um but obviously he'll have to do that from scratch and you know it's currently a point where baltimore and the chargers are both harbaugh's and they're gonna be hiring their own guys so there's probably a lot of competition for the people he would want to have in there uh but i think in the offense that's where the big decisions will be made and of course that's probably going to come down to who they pick as the offensive coordinator there's rumors um that they're interviewing chip kelly who's obviously got experience in the in the various uh, teams before um uh, um, a college play caller, Ryan Grubb from the Washington Huskies, who don't speak uh, popular uh, since the Washington are close by and are recently successful. Um, some assistance from Detroit uh, for for Ben Johnson. So, look, I, I think it's a big it's a big change. I think it's the first time you know in you know in over a decade that Seattle are going to have a non Pete Carroll uh, thing. So I think the hope is he'll be given a chance to turn this around and try to. And I think early indications are that he's. He seems lukewarm on Gino, so if they can find a better option, I wouldn't be surprised if they explore that. But, you know, we know getting quarterbacks in the NFL is not difficult, so you may see Gino kind of start this year as a bridge quarterback to someone picked in, like, the second, third round. Yeah, and uh, on this Washington side, Sean, Dan Quinn uh, obviously kind of was talked about as a hot commodity, was linked with the Seattle team as well, but uh, has kind of had that defense lose steam down the stretch. Do you think this is the right direction for Washington? I, I can't consider myself optimistic about this from, from Washington's perspective. I mean, I, I think Dan Quinn, I mean, I think you can maybe push the, obviously the playoff disaster is, is kind of blaring front and center uh, when we talk about Dan Quinn, uh, the Cowboys, you know, their vaunted defense goes completely missing in the biggest game of the year is, is obviously something the DC needs to be pointed at. But, I mean, this is a guy who has a head coach, did make a team almost win a Super Bowl. Uh, we do kind of forget that sometimes. And he's he did build some very good defenses in... Uh, 
in Dallas, um, even if they didn't always perform when they needed to. So and that's, a, I mean, there, there's a certain pedigree behind it. And given the alternatives, I mean, you could maybe, they're, they're, obviously they, they were looking at Ben Johnson, the, the, the Lions OC, and he decided he basically didn't want the job for all intents and purposes. Um, so maybe this was the best, second best option. I mean, we can talk about the options like Vrabel and Balachik who are still out there. I mean, the Vrabel thing, I'm quite surprised that, that he hasn't, being picked up for a job somewhere. So the Dan Quinn side of it is a little bit, it's, it's okay. I, I can kind of live with that. The weird one for me is, is the, the, the change in OC, obviously getting rid of Eric Bieniemy, who has a very good reputation in the NFL and has often been talked about as a potential head coach and obviously had a lot of success when he was with the, the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and given that Dan Quinn is defensive-minded and, and his, his teams tend to be built around what he can do defensively even when he was a head coach, he's going to need an offensive coordinator to run his offense. And Cliff Kingsbury is to get rid of Eric Bieniemy, who admittedly maybe, you know, hasn't stepped up the way we thought he would have when he left the Chiefs to go to the Commanders. He didn't really shine. He had a couple of interesting things he was doing, and obviously he was working with not the best material in terms of the quarterbacks that, that Washington were dealing with this year. But to go from that to Cliff Kingsbury, the, 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 the definition of the mediocre white guy, is, it's, it's bizarre to me. I, I really struggle to understand the logic of why they think that is a, a step forward and that that's going to be the thing that turns Washington around. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... I, I, I fail to see how Washington are going to be any better, really. And they're in a pretty tough division, you know. Dallas and Philadelphia are two good teams, and the Giants are... are can be on their day quite a difficult team to play as well. So I can't see the commanders being an, improving their place within the division in terms of this. I can't see them being much better. I mean, a lot of it will have to do with the number two pick and who they pick up as quarterback and do we trust Cliff Kingsbury to, to shape a, a future quarterback or whatever. But uh, the Dan Quinn side of it, I have less of a problem with, although it's it's I probably maybe slightly one or two better options out there. The Cliff Kingsbury thing makes no sense to me whatsoever. I imagine it was it definitely be... an attempt to, you know, given he's coming out of the college system and some of the quarterbacks that are available. Is that the idea, Ronan? Well, I think there's obviously a heavy linkage between Cliff Kingsbury and the presumed number one overall pick, Caleb Williams, uh, since USC is the, the team that Caleb Williams played for. And Cliff Kingsbury's obviously been his OC the last year. Uh, the results were mixed, I would say. Like, I think Caleb Williams didn't have the last year he was hoping for coming off a Heisman campaign. Uh, but a lot of that was probably to do with the defense being so bad that they were put in a hole basically the entire season. Um, like, to be fair, Washington, you know, Dan Quinn was basically, at best, their third option because I think they wanted um, Ben Johnson, the Detroit offensive coordinator, and now there's a whole basically mud-flinging thing going on between uh, Johnson's people and Washington's people. Johnson's people say that he wasn't impressed by the their supposed, they thought they were basketball people and stuff like that. Washington say, you know, it's kind of, they, they kind of, he... You know kind of mis misrepresented them and was looking for outrageous money money equivalent to the highest paid coaches in the league as a you know obviously a first-time coach um so and then mcdonald apparently they wanted mcdonald if they couldn't get johnson and he was basically took the seattle job so you know obviously for for a new ownership group in washington which was hoping to get off on the right foot after the you know disaster of the snyder era to end up with this kind of dirty laundry being aired to end up with dan quinn uh, you know a, a very solid but not exactly exciting option to present to your fan base as the new 
you know, fate the face of the new era of Washington football. Yeah, I think that number two overall pick, whoever they pick at quarterback, whether that be move up to try to get the number one by trading, um, or pick someone at number two like uh, Jaden Daniels, um, they're they're gonna have to do a lot of work to kind of get the fans fully yeah. on board. I think they're gonna be a little bit more skeptical than they would have been if you'd got the Ben Johnsons of the world. No, of course. Uh, over to the Chargers, and they are very much leaning into the the hardball life, I suppose. Uh, they've hired Baltimore director of player personnel Joe Horitz to be their GM. Baltimore former Baltimore offensive coordinator Greg Roman as offensive coordinator and Michigan defensive coordinator Jesse Minter as DC so this is just Harbaugh fingerprints all over it uh, makes sense I'm not sure I love the fit of Greg Roman with this offense like he tends to be more run heavy more option heavy like if you look at it was you know Kaepernick in San Francisco yeah. it was uh, Jackson in Baltimore that's not the kind of personnel group they have in in la but like look i i suppose let the, let's see what they what they can get going they've captured lightning beforehand with this group so like i, I'd I say can tell you who's celebrating connor the people who want to make excuses for justin herbert because i think yeah. greg roman's second hand poor pass concept reputation will be like oh poor herbert but like i think this gives you an indication what harbour wants he like he doesn't want it to be a herbert team he wants this to be yeah. a rough and tumble like both lines bully you team and he then want, he wants to build to have the, the, the 49ers uh afc yeah like exactly and like look her hortitz comes from um, Baltimore, who have a really good reputation for finding talent, both in the draft and free agency. Um, and Minter, obviously, was his DC mm. uh, while uh, Harbaugh was the Michigan coach. So I think those two make a lot of sense. But the Roman one, yeah, like I think, <laughs> you know, we talk about the OC being important. Maybe the pass game coordinator might be a very important, yeah, for very team. important job for this team. But that's the kind of thing. Suddenly, you'll hear he'll be the most talked about pass game coordinator in the league, whoever that happens to be. Probably. Unfortunately, uh, their target for pass game coordinator uh, Arthur Smith has uh, <laughs> has gone to <laughs> Pittsburgh, and he's going to be the offensive coordinator there because Pittsburgh want to make sure they don't win more than ten games uh, max. Uh, I hate the hiring of Arthur. Smith. I'll just run through the coordinators, and we can grab the bits that we want out of it. So Pittsburgh pick up uh, former Atlanta head coach Arthur Smith to be offensive coordinator. New England pick up Cleveland uh, offensive coordinator Alex Van Pelt to be their OC. Las Vegas pick up Chicago OC uh, Luke Getze, or their former one, to be their offensive coordinator. Tampa Bay have picked up Kentucky's offensive coordinator Liam Cohen to be their offensive coordinator. And New Orleans have fired uh, San Francisco passing game coordinator Clint Kubiak to be their offensive coordinator. Hate the Pittsburgh one. Uh, absolutely hate it. I don't know why you would want Arthur Smith there. Uh, I would imagine we might see some wide receivers wanting to get traded out of there given his reputation with WR1s and high-end players. Um, the New England one intrigues me, Sean, because uh, I, this feels a little bit like a furrowed route. Is it New England trying to pick up from Cleveland and hope that it'll be their next Cleveland to New England success story? Uh, I, I think it's a, there's, a, there's a balancing thing going on here, right? Obviously, a very inexperienced head coach, so you try and bring in some experience on the offensive side. And obviously, the offense is the, is the part of the path that needs to be completely rebuilt. And with the number three pick, they're probably, they're, you would hope they'd pick a quarterback. And so the whole process begins again. Van Pelt has a lot of good experience, especially as a kind of a quarterback guy. I mean, Aaron Rodgers apparently had a lot of time for him when he was in Green Bay. Obviously, he did a lot of good work with Baker Mayfield in the Browns. Uh, question marks, he's not been a play caller before, so that could be a thing that could be a difficult step up. 
criticism apparently from the Browns fans that he didn't make Deshaun Watson amazing, uh, which you know might be Deshaun Watson's fault uh, than yeah. anything else. Uh, so yeah, it's one of those things where there's a lot of uncertainty, obviously. But I think I think as as like in terms of experience and a guy who's good with quarterbacks, I, I kind of buy that as a as a hire. Uh, I'm I'm optimistic about it, um, but. It all depends on who they draft. They have to draft a good quarterback, and then then we'll see how these things go. There's a lot of work to do on the offensive side, so a lot. Well, uh, I don't expect miracles overnight. If you don't draft a quarterback, you know Alex Van Pelt just had a lot of success with old man Joe Flacco, so you never know. You know, yeah, that is options there. <laughs> Flacco in there. Uh, do we think Vegas picking up Luke Getzey suggests that they might be in the market for a Justin Fields? I think that certainly has to be part of it, but they also basically had a gentleman's agreement that. Cliff Kingsbury is going to go there and then apparently money became an issue and obviously we know Vegas are probably one of the more poverty franchises in the NFL in terms of their ownership group so that you know if they originally got Cliff Kingsbury that says Caleb Williams uh, but then or maybe some idea to go to that direction now they're going for Luke Getze who's obviously coming from Chicago where he had experience with Justin Fields although the actual experience of them together was mixed to say the least Yeah. <laughs> um, but it definitely it'll definitely open that up and I, I imagine he will have a you know, his opinion on that will probably have something to say about it. I think Adam Schefter is saying that people are saying they'll definitely get a, that Chicago will get a number two or uh, a round two pick for him. We'll, we'll see uh, in the off season. Arthur Smith, I know actually, like Arthur Smith going to Pittsburgh is fine because they, they're just a blah offense anyway. So just running the ball with Najee Harris and Wait, what's, Jalen what's Warren. Just, just getting breaking but news. He won't, Pitt, he won't Pittsburgh give the ball are trading for Johnny Smith. Yeah, maybe they'll trade for Johnny Smith, but they already, like, <laughs> John Smith and Fryer Moon. Like, you know, the thing is, they they don't have superstars. Like, their best receiver is Deontay Johnson, yeah, who's but, fine. But, but Arden Smith continuously doesn't want to use the top of the roster, so they're going to need to get another level below Pat Fryer Moon. So they need to get, like, some, some bottom feeders in to, to let him feature them heavily. Yeah, well, Mike Tomlin put a bit of uh, things uh, In terms of the other two, probably less exciting. Uh, Liam Cohen to Tampa Bay. He is from formerly from the Rams staff, and he was there when Baker had his brief... Uh, time with the Rams so that might suggest that uh, they're going to keep Baker there in Tampa Bay and kind of roll it back basically and for New Orleans obviously they chose to finally get rid of uh, Carmichael after you know he survived the entire Peyton era never mind uh, the current regime and Clint Kubiak is you know classic Shanahan system yeah. obviously his father uh, ran a very Shanahan type scheme so I expect that they'll probably be running the ball a lot and you know not putting too much pressure on Derek Carr and I think the rumours are that they're basically going to extend Derek Carr again because their cap situation is a joke yeah and to be honest it makes sense San Francisco have a scheme that's built around hiding the quarterback and I think you do kind <laughs> of need to do that uh, on to the other side of the ball uh, Denver have hired Baltimore defensive backs coach uh, Denard Wilson as defensive coordinator and hired Jacksonville's pass game coordinator Nick Holtz as their offensive coordinator Miami picked up Baltimore defensive lineman uh, coach Anthony Weaver to be their DC Green Bay picked up Boston College's Jeff Haley their head coach as to be their defensive coordinator and the Giants picked up former Tennessee DC see Shane Bowen to be their defensive coordinator man there's going to be no one left in Baltimore after this season is there yeah um, that's the big trend like I think and it's interesting because obviously McDonald is quite young and they promoted basically the young man in the room Zach Orr so you know you could maybe Wilson and Weaver consider themselves to be the jilted guys in the room you know getting passed over by obviously talented but younger guys and they're now going out there with the reputation of the Baltimore defense so high and saying we can bring that defense to you um for Miami it's a little bit of a step down I suppose going to someone who's relatively yeah. you know like 
people hold uh, Weaver in high esteem. He's been there with Baltimore for a while, uh, but going from Vic Fangio to Anthony Weaver. But, you know, to be honest, like, big names at DC often don't work out, so it's fine. Uh, Green Bay, it's a big choice, I suppose, just because uh, obviously now they've kind of gone through two DCs uh, from the LaFleur era, and neither have been particularly good. So now you bring someone in who has experience with LaFleur previously, uh, but now coming from the college game as a head coach, and, uh, you know, completely not NFL-related, but apparently college head coaches are much more keen to get into NFL right now because it's getting crazy. Um, the transfer portal program. stuff is causing issues, isn't yeah. it? NIL, like the name and licensing stuff, and the transfer portal has just commercialized it to a degree that a lot of guys are just noping out um and shane bowen you know it's surprising like the giants fired um wink martindale like just after the season ended the regular season ended and they were just getting around now they said to be thorough and show they come around to, to tennessee and tennessee's defense albeit probably with a lot of influence in frable was solid so i think bowen will probably be fine yeah. um and in tennessee they yeah you know the oc probably won't matter because that's basically going to be the, the head coach's job yeah, and uh, just other bits of news. Tampa Bay center Ryan Jensen's retired. Obviously, he won the Super Bowl with them. He has a kind of he had quite bad complications coming out of his knee injury. Uh, mm. If you remember, I think he was the one who was kind of toughing it out to try and play in the playoffs with Tom Brady on that final run as well. But he's uh, he's retiring now. So uh, yeah, he he famously didn't undergo surgery for a severe injury. He went for stem cell therapy and yeah. that did not work out and as you said he was basically all off all of tom brady's final year but he said he would play in the playoffs for them and then re-aggravated the injury and now mm -hmm. basically his career's over so very sad but uh you know don't do stem cells kids uh maybe stick to surgery yeah and uh interesting news on the international game front uh so we noted beforehand that they're going to be playing a game in brazil this year uh philadelphia are going to host that and it's going to be in the opening week friday night football which is uh i think a new kind of invention isn't it yeah they I haven't think it's had that. 60 years or something since there was a friday night game on the opening week so yeah yeah pretty much so a lot of lot of visibility for it as well and obviously they're trying to make a big push into into south america these days as well with the uh you can you can see it kind of as a structural target for the league with a lot of what they're kind of targeting they're doing more spanish language programming and stuff like that so uh makes yeah. sense but uh obviously not for brazil but you know uh <laughs> <laughs> that's why Bra they, they you know you get spanish language programming for the rest of south america and then brazil gets a game uh, essentially um but yeah uh very exciting you can understand spanish it's close enough <laughs> oh, god Bye-bye. It's the logic that I assume NFL executives have been using. <laughs> oh, very good, very good. Um, excellent. Let's move on and have a look at the Pro Bowl games. Yeah, Pro Bowl hype. So we'll run through these relatively quickly. First off was precision passing. I won't lie. This did not impress me in the slightest. Uh, in particular, there's a couple of people like uh, Tua was particularly poor in it as well. Uh, the NFC won this, uh, although interestingly, one of the announcers came out, did a <laughs> did a did uh, an example of how the game works and outscored everyone. So uh, that says exactly how seriously these people were taking it. And the first round, the so the way it worked was there was three quarterbacks from each side, uh, AFC, NFC, and then the top two went through. Stroud got 26 and Baker got 24 in the first one. So they uh, they went through to the final round and then Baker scored nine and Stroud scored eight. So uh, was not massively like, impressive. I would say it's more that Stroud was like goaded into taking like the 10 shot, the most difficult shot for his last shot instead of taking a tie. Uh, which, to be fair, is grand. I think Stroud. To be fair, though, far, it was the most been, accurate. It would, it would have been for a potential tie because Baker still had a ball to throw at that point. No, that was uh, just for fun, the last one he threw. 
No, he well, he threw second. I thought fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so not not the best. Uh, the best catch ended up being uh, Puka Nakua versus Njoku. Puka waterboarding catch, kind of one over a, sw- a swing jump catch. Uh, these are definitely things that are better on video than in audio. But uh, <laughs> you know, NFC won the position. Describe passing. it in detail, Connor. No, uh, <laughs> NFC won precision passing and best catch and closest to the pin, five by five, two swings each for a hundred and fifteen yard par three hole. If you ever wanted to watch like football special teamers play golf, the Pro Bowl has you covered. Uh, the NFC won that one as well. Uh, high stakes was a 5x5. Five five. Most balls caught while catching punts. The AFC won that one with uh, Miles Kilbrew catching five balls. Uh, dodgeball was a bit more exciting. AFC won that. Um, so that was that was uh, or say that well, was they split they so split each, the NFC uh, the the offense has played the defenses between the two divisions and the offense won in both cases. Yeah, basically. it was uh, it was fine. I kind of it felt a little bit overly structured. There was a lot of them standing around not wanting to throw the ball. They were thinking too mm. tactically, I think. Uh, snapshots, which was be- was basically centers and long snappers trying to snap through. Uh, like targets uh, behind them. The NFC won that one 14 to 10. Uh, Kick tac toe, Justin Tucker uh, got that for the AFC after Aubrey missed the middle square for the kick. Um, there was a bullshit call in the middle though, because Aubrey hit like the post in between the squares and they didn't give him anything. And I'm like, that seems a bit harsh to be perfectly frank. Uh, look, if it comes, if it goes off the post and goes through, it counts. That's how it works in the regular well, season it, as well. It didn't right? go through. It, it like, like it, like it just hit. Like they hit the square, and then a, a stream of smoke goes up to say you did a thing. Well, it's about know. accuracy, uh, Ronan. It's not, it's not about how you know. Oh, you got close enough. Maybe maybe we should have given him two, if he got in between. Yeah, them. give them both, or <laughs> you know, give him one, or give him. Yeah, I don't know. Seemed a bit seemed a bit harsh to me, and it, it's you know obviously Tucker's great, but you know. Was he did that good this year? Uh, seems to be a lot of work to get him to the Pro Bowl, and now I get a lot of work for him to win the kicking competition. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, next up was move the change. NFC won that five by five offensive line, defensive line, moving three thousand uh, pounds, and then walking uh, two thousand pounds on a pull. So that was fine. NFC won that one. It was quite close. Uh, they had a Madden competition. The NFC won that. Uh, it was two v two, one per half. So Puka and Parsons beat out Njoku and Hill. Uh, the Gridiron Gauntlet was run twice, and the NFC won both of those. So that's kind of a, a obstacle course, kind of wall break, slide, jump, cart push kind of setup. And the tug of war was the NFC, so it was five of five, five v five, best of three. Um, so yeah, so the skills total was uh, nine to the AFC, thirty to the NFC. It was a little bit one-sided on that. Uh, we won't lie. And then the big one, obviously, the flag game ended up being fifty to thirty-four. Uh, so that was, or sorry, it was two games, was it? No, it was just the flag. No, there was one yeah. game. There was one, one game. Black game yeah. uh, so the AFC dominated the first half, 38 to 21. Uh, they have, you know, just a lot of sp- speed and everything. Allen, Hill, Chase were all just doing great. Their defense picked off uh, Hertz and Gino. And yeah, there was just not, not a war pile. In the second half, it was a little bit different, but like... It wasn't. It wasn't the most compelling. I won't. I won't say it was the best advertisement for the league on how flag football works. There were some exciting bits and pieces, but yeah. Uh, offensive MVP was Baker Mayfield, and defensive MVP was Demario Davis. Uh, but unfortunately, that wasn't enough for them to do it because you add the points together, and it ended up fifty-nine to sixty-four with the NFC winning. Yeah. So they they made some changes this year, right? So, um, you know, instead of having all the skills challenges in one day. And then the game on another day, um, the, the kind of 
the, there was a Thursday set of games. I think the precision passing, the best catch, uh, the closest to the pin, and the QB. Uh, high the high stakes one. Um, so like those were there, and they're they're like a separate show. And then on Sunday they ran the other skill challenges basically in like the quarters and the halftime of the the things. I said the ones that were pre-recorded, like best catch in Madden NFL. Um, so you know the AFC was aware how much points were kind of coming in, but that amount that was coming in for the skill challenge was changing each time they came back on the field effectively. Because uh, you know the AFC dominated this game, especially in the first half. Like Hill uh, dominated. I think Allen passed a touchdown and also scored a, a couple of touchdowns uh chase mid thing like, outside of cd lamb the nfc wasn't doing much but you know the, with the last play but they're, re- they're like, really good at yeah. like closest to the pin golf so that's why they're the best pro bowlers. yeah it's like the game literally doesn't even matter anymore because you didn't need to win the game to win the game as well, you, know? <laughs> <laughs> you won the pro bowl because you were better at like golf yeah Man, the pro so. the pro bowl used to mean something <laughs> Yeah, I know exactly. But uh, look, I think Jalen, you know, Jalen Johnson deflected the final um, pass from CJ Stroud, who had a great game, um, and that's what gave the NFC the win. Like the AFC knew they had to score in the final drive, a touchdown to, to win. Uh, but like, I think there was definitely a sense that the, you know, the the flag football aspect. Like last year, I think they ran three games. This year was only one. But I think there was a big emphasis on trying to educate uh, whoever was viewing. I, I doubt there was that many viewers um, about flag football and the rules there, and getting people prepared for here's what flag football is like, and here's how it compares to you know real football as yeah. ever. Of, of all the things right? to run the Pro Bowl for, that's that's a reasonable thing, I suppose. Yeah. Am I right in remembering that they so they had they ran most of these things in the stadium? or the setup that they had, and they had fans in at it, but they didn't have the fans out for the kick-tack-toe. Well, that was part of the... That was, like, a pre-recorded section, yeah. basically. And that's like, but, like, that's, that's, that was... that's the most fun. You could get a crowd into that. Like, get some people around them, I think. Yeah, I, don't, I think... I like the other thing. They didn't even, they didn't even put the kick-tack-toe on their YouTube channel. Like, you had to dive, dive deep into the NFL.com video fault to get access to oh, the, the full recording of the, uh, the tic-tac-toe. Yeah. yeah. Pretty disappointing. Yeah, I think, Sean, you had some I, I Pro Bowl will... analysis. I, I, well, it is actually. It's the if if the idea uh, in terms of how successful this as a weekend is. If the idea of these is to create social media buzz, which presumably it is, you got you got exciting things happening that get shared and, and go viral. Literally, the only and I, I've got a fair amount of NFL stuff in my in my feed, and literally the only thing the algorithm picked up as a thing worthy of being seen in the Super Bo- in the Pro Bowl was Tua's awful performance in passing. That was literally the only video. I actually scrolled down and, and came across uh, in social media, and the one of, of Dan Orlovsky humiliating everybody by being better than them at passing. So yeah. if the NFL is like, this is showing off, or showcasing our skills and our, our players, etc., I think it's a spectacular failure if they're not actually getting any, if people aren't, don't care about it enough even to, to share videos on social media of the more interesting parts. Yeah, no, it's just it's 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 lost some of its gumption. Not like the good old days when we had Pro Bowl go, hype. Yeah, go back to Hawaii and people sitting on the beach and yeah, yeah. a game that doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm I'm feeling no hype. I used to always feel Pro Bowl hype, but no, <laughs> no Pro Bowl <laughs> hype this time around. Yeah, NFC it, wins, but they didn't win the game, so I don't know. Yeah, take it away with you win. It's, but uh, that does mean I was correct with my NFC projection. So very good. I was uh, I was I was right <laughs> on the football element. <laughs> But yeah, uh, unfortunately, the All Pro right. Bowl ain't about the football no more. <laughs> They've lost sight exactly, of what matters. Exactly. Uh, and on that lovely note, we're going to move on to some actual football. And let's start previewing the Super Bowl matchup of Kansas City and San Francisco. Okay, guys. So obviously, Super Bowl is here. Big Sunday adventures. We're going to have some crack. You guys are coming up to Dublin for it. We're going to watch in the wool shed in town with a big group of the, the guys. It should be 
good fun. Uh, Kansas City versus San Francisco. I believe San Francisco are the bookies' favorites still at the moment. Ever no, since I think it's changed now. They started as one-point favorites, and I think KC are about two-point favorites now. It's switched recently. Oh, interesting. I don't like yeah. that. I prefer I prefer the underdog <laughs> mentality. Uh, but, you know, I suppose everyone's just buying in onto the hype now. Uh, but... Yeah, uh, are we? I suppose at the outset, are we happy with this as our as our Super Bowl matchup? Uh, like, obviously, I'm heartbroken the Lions aren't here, but like, in general, what's the Lions going in? I think it's in? the best. The San Francisco are the best team in the NFC, and Kansas City have proven that they are really good playoff championship type. Like, I think it's a good mix of a really, really good regular season team, and then a team that's really good at like winning important games. So I think yeah. it'll be, it's good. The, the only alternative, if Baltimore-San Francisco would probably be the highest quality matchup, but I, I actually kind of prefer the Kansas City because I think they they just have a way of winning these kind of games, and it, it kind of feels more of a big deal when you... It's it's like those times when you had this in the during the Patriots era, when the Pats wouldn't make the Super Bowl, uh, and it and even say Peyton Manning didn't make Super Bowl. You say the, the Pittsburgh Steelers Super Bowls tended to feel a little bit less important because it wasn't the the very big name. So having Kansas City in the Super Bowl, especially with the whole Taylor Swift stuff, I think makes it makes it more of an occasion. Definitely, people have been talking about the Super Bowl a lot more this year, just ordinary non fans than would have been the case in most years. Yeah, I don't love so it, but I respect it, and they're two good teams. And, <laughs> um, you know, I think you know. We always want those new stories, those new teams. Like, you know, obviously with the Lions so close, you're kind of, yeah, I think we were all really pulling for them to make it. But I think, you know, like the two best teams probably of the last half decade uh, coming in in some interesting spaces in terms of where they are. And obviously a rematch of a, a pretty good Super Bowl from a few years ago, uh, where I think can you know where both teams are quite different, but there's still enough continuity that there's you know real like you know going for legacy, going for revenge type stuff come as well, especially from the San Francisco side. Yeah. So I suppose in terms of talking about this, do we want to go kind of talking points start, or do we want to kind of break down the rosters first? What would you guys prefer? I'd say talking points would make more sense. Yeah. yeah integrate we'll the kind of, rosters as we go, and then we'll work our way through it. That's fine. So we'll kick off. Uh, so on the first side, we'll look at Kansas City's offense taking on San Francisco's defense. Uh, obviously, Kansas City offense had been kind of moribund for most of the year, hadn't been able to get anything going. They were having a lot of problems with drops from receivers, people not finishing routes, uh, just sloppiness, even things that you wouldn't have seen in previous years, like mistakes pre-snap, people not getting set in time, allowing kind of delay game penalties. But as soon as they hit the uh, postseason, that kind of seemed to melt away. It started with a trouncing of the of the dolphins then kind of continued into a very hard fought battle against the bills and then probably would say about a strong half against baltimore and then they kind of went very conservative and into their shell in the second half against them when they were up by two scores but what it means is we've got quite a different looking kansas city offense coming in here versus the san francisco defense that for large stretches of this year have absolutely destroyed uh, opponents and then have had one or two runs so there was a four game run in the middle and then two games later on that were less strong coming out of them it's a, a very fast aggressive offense they've got good pass rushers in in bosa and chase young since he moved over there hasn't really had the impact that they were hoping for but they've kind of you know anchored by a great linebacker core they have quality in the in, in the defensive backfield so this will be a proper matchup so we'll kick off with the say mahomes and kelsey obviously the kind of main connection on the Kansas City side. Uh, Kelsey in the previous game went 11 of 11 for over 100 yards. He was really kind of back into his his groove again. 
The problem is that this is a linebacking core in San Francisco. When you look at Fred Warner as, as kind of the base, but then you've got Greenlaw, you've got Kinlaw, and then you've got depth a bit there as well with Isaiah Oliver and stuff coming in. This is a very good linebacking core that can cover well as well as cause pressure. So they should be able to track Kelsey better. And particularly against Baltimore, a lot of the success he was finding was slipping in between zones and just finding open pockets. So I feel that's probably going to be less likely in this matchup, right? Well, like, I think if you look at the season as a whole, that analysis makes a lot of sense, right? Like, I think Kelsey has been on his best. The 49ers uh, linebacker core have been playing at a really high level. And you kind of go the middle of the field might be an issue. And even guys, even when they lost uh, people this year, uh, they've brought in guys in the safety position, uh, like Jair Brown, who's been playing quite well. But the, the thing is, if you, it depends how much you wait the last couple of games. Like, on the Kansas City offense side, as you already referenced, like, Kelsey looked back to his best. Like, you know, in the AFC Championship, he was absolutely dominating uh, what is a really good Baltimore defense that had really good linebackers, had really good safeties, and yet he made them look like shit, basically. He absolutely dominated in every facet of the game. And even the game before that, in the divisional round, you saw a bit more of the old Kelsey. And maybe Kelsey is just peaking at just the right moment to suddenly become that X factor that no other team uh, can take away. And on the other hand, I think the last couple of games uh, for San Francisco, both against Green Bay, but especially against Detroit, you know, they were able to pass across the middle. Jared Goff had a lot of success, especially in that first half where Detroit were dominant, um, of actually passing across the middle, of finding those zones behind the linebackers, Greenlaw and Warner, who are obviously really, really good. There's no doubting that. Um, but they, they weren't the, the dominant forces that they had been uh, for stretches this season. And I think in general, the 49ers defense defense down the stretch has not been the kind of all kick all ass kicking unit that it, we thought it would be um based on the first half of the year so based on if, if we go over the entirety of the season i think you know i would have more like a lot of worries for kansas city but just even on the last couple of weeks um it seems like they've changed a lot and obviously you know they'll look at what detroit did running kind of towards the um the right of their line the left of the san francisco defensive line and say there's a there's some kind of weakness there i think chase young was getting washed out a lot in terms of being a run stopper so you get young off the field and you have to get someone in uh, like Kerry Hyder, who's obviously a better run stuffer, but isn't really a factor in pass factor. And then you start to, to dictate the type of defense that the 49ers have. And so you have a case there where I think Kansas City's offense, I don't think it'll be like blowing the doors off, like let's go back to like, you know, 50 points a game type situation. But I do think they have shown enough because we know what the 49ers will want to do. You know, there's basically three people you need to stop in terms of skill position. You need to keep Pacheco in check. Um, and I think, you know, Hargrave and Armstead are a good pairing. But, you know, uh, I don't know how, in terms of run defense, San Francisco have been good, but I wouldn't say they've been amazing, especially I said that Detroit game um, showed definitely some chinks in the armor. You need to stop Rashi Rice, who's obviously been a great, you know, story for, for the Chiefs down the stretch. Uh, and they'll probably want to put their, you know, top quarterback out there, like Javarius Ward, to stop him there. And obviously you need to drop Travis Kelsey. So, you know, for, for a modern NFL defense, stopping three guys... It's not easy, but it should be possible if you're willing to, to sell out for them. And then what you want to happen is that, that Kansas City end up having to go, you know, like you leave one-on-ones for MVS or Kadarius Tony or whoever is actually playing for you in this game who isn't, you know, those three central guys and seeing if they can beat you. Because I think, you know, the, the, the result over the course of the season is that more often than not, not only those guys not beat you, but they actually 
basically beat themselves. And so, you know, you kind of go, well, have the Chief just figured it out? Is Kelsey just suddenly back to being Superman? Is Pacheco, is Pacheco coming back from injury just mean that the, they have the element that makes, that kind of anchors the offense? Is Rashi Rice basically at this point of the season now, if not a wide receiver one, certainly a huge factor as kind of the wide receiver two for Travis Kelsey? And have they now reached that level where basically you can't just force the other team to have to rely on the MBSs of the world like the Chiefs felt like they were doing at points during the regular season? So, you know, it's really interesting to me because it's changed so much over the course of the playoffs how we felt about this Kansas City de- uh, Kansas City offense and to a lesser extent the San Francisco defense. So for me, I, I have a great amount of uncertainty around this, but we know what you need to do. Stop Kelsey, stop in disorder. Stop Kelsey, stop Pacheco, stop Rice. If you can do that, you know, Mahomes will be able to do some bullshit. He always does, but it gives you much more of a chance um, if he's having to rely on those guys who, you know, like they showed up in last year's Super Bowl, but uh, they have done nothing this year and have been actively hurting your chances. Yeah, see, this this is broadly along my way of thinking as well. Kansas City's offensive efficiency in this game will be very dependent on how how broad a game plan they bring. If you understand what I'm saying, how many players are you? Is Andy Reid really willing to trust to to be? You know, skilled players who are you know have plays designed around them, or or who's who's Mahomes going to be told to throw to, or how many options are you going to have on every individual pass play? Because if the Chiefs try and play a very broad game where the you know people like MVS and Tony and and whoever are 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 a regular part of the of the of the play design, I think San Francisco would eat them alive because I don't think those players are actually good enough to be able to to beat the the San Francisco scheme or to beat the San Francisco defensive stars one-on-one so i wonder if kansas city if the if the way the chiefs are going to do it it would be kind of like how they approached the first half against the ravens which is just to play a very very narrow game mahomes to kelsey pacheco runs mahomes to, to rice or whatever as the other option. like rely on the skills of your individual players to, to win one-on-one scenarios and that worked in the in the championship game against the ravens at least for the first half like because kelsey is such a good pass catcher you could rely on him in scenarios just to win his battle and and to get you down the field or to get you the scores that you needed and it it reminds me a little bit and i know i shouldn't keep talking about pat super bowls it it, it's it doesn't well it's okay granddad tell us about the before times (laughs) it does remind me a little bit of the of the of the scenario the, the scenario possible in the Pats Rams Super Bowl, that awful Super Bowl where offenses just weren't working at whatsoever. And there came a point in like the, the kind of the fourth quarter, the middle of the fourth quarter in that game, where Brady Belichick, you know, the offensive team, whoever decided, look, fuck it, we're not going to play anything except Brady will pass to Gronk and Brady will pass to Edelman and literally the rest of the offense, we can forget about it. And it worked. They got down the field and they scored the, 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 what turned out to be the only the only touchdown in that game. And I wonder if that will happen. And if at a certain point in this game, Andy Reid will go, fuck playing anything fancy or broad or, or innovative we will just have Mahomes throwing to Kelsey we will have Pacheco running we will play like route one if, if you want to use a soccer analogy we will play route one uh, uh, NFL style football and we will just grind it out and we'll and we'll accept the fact that we'll sometimes have to kick field goals because I don't I think the more the team the offensive team comes in with fancy things that involve kind of the non-core players the more risk the Chiefs have, and the more da- and the more difficult it will actually be for them to score. I don't think the Chiefs should be going into this game expecting, in fact, 
they're going to score an awful lot of points. And I think the more they try and build a game around, let's let's try and make a lot of things happen offensively. I think they're in trouble. And I think I won. I, that's my, my my one big question mark is how will the Chiefs approach this, and will Reed just play shutdown offense where they take what's given in every scenario, and you rely on your star players to do star player things, but you don't try and force it in situations where it's not happening. Uh, like that makes sense, right? Like you don't want to rely. Like you know the weakest part of the the Chiefs offensive line is that the two tackles like Donovan Smith and Juwan Taylor they're they're fine but they're not you know and they're going up against Nick Bosa and, and other people um but the interior of that line with Creed Humphrey and even with Allegretti coming in instead of probably Thune I think he played quite well last week and he's kind of a solid player and Trey Smith played well for you it, it kind of feels like yeah similar to what they did against Baltimore Sean says getting the ball like quick neutralizing those people making the offensive line not a major factor and effectively neutralizing what should be a strength of the team obviously when you have nick bosa and Stephen hargrave the defensive line is going to be a strength for san francisco and making them a non-factor that could be huge but you know we'll just have to see whether steve wilkes and the san francisco defense will have learned lessons that baltimore uh, maybe didn't quite uh, do so um and i do think there is a you know obviously with Mahomes there you know there's always uh, you know, you, even when you can see that they're doing the conservative thing because they have Mahomes, we know that if you if you start to pull people down, it, like it wasn't it was it the 49ers last year or something like that that they started playing down the field and kind of bringing the linebackers and the safeties up, and then Mahomes is like, well, if you're not if you're not going to play me deep, if you're not going to play conservative, I'm going to beat you over the top. And maybe he doesn't have the guys uh, on the wide receiver position to do that anymore, but you know, there will be an interesting like will San Francisco just stick with you know that's kind of minimize the bleeding and keep it close and let's just get it done ourselves, um, or will they be willing to, to kind of go there but I think with that interior line uh, that, that they have even with the strength of Hargrave and Armstead I do feel like Chiefs will be able to to get enough production to be relevant uh, on the offensive side yeah so I think Allegretti stepping in for Tooney uh, is, a, is a downgrade because Tooney's played excellently but Allegretti played well uh, last week when he played uh, I think he's probably I think it's a it's a bigger downgrade maybe on the run blocking than it is for the pass blocking. So that's maybe a concern when it comes to what Pacheco is going to be doing in in this game. So he, they don't really like to run on the outside routes as much. They like to kind of go down the middle, or if they do go outside, they like to pull a center. And and Creed Humphries is as good as anyone at that. Um, but that'll mean that they're having to run into some of the more talented edge players. So we'll, I'd be intrigued to see how they're going to try and scheme this up. There's been a little bit of a tendency, uh, particularly in late in the season, for the Chiefs to do kind of trickery, jiggery, pokery plays in the in the backfield to fake handoffs and to suggest that maybe Mahomes is a runner. Uh, particularly, they like to run wide from shotgun, which is just not a very, very good <laughs> decision yeah, because it has had very, very bad outcomes for the, them. So hopefully they can That's a terrible play call. It. It's objectively terrible to run wide zone from... from oh, it is, yeah. Like, it's a terrible, but like, I, I presume the idea is that they want to try and have the guys not biting it with the risk of in the shotgun if he pulls it up to to just throw but yeah it just doesn't work at all because there's no actual run risk from Pat Mahomes so I think they're going to need to get away from that jiggery pokey and we'll talk about the coaching stuff in a bit but like they need to step away from that and just go Pacheco is very good run down the middle like I said route one style stuff just keep keep that moving and I think yes that the target will be to keep it with Kelsey keep it with uh keep it with Rashi Rice keep it with the guys who you trust but I think this is going to come down to needing some of the guys behind to step up. And that could be, you know, uh, Belldozer or Gray. It could be Justin Watson, who's had a couple of decent spots here. Uh, Richie James has stepped in at times. Like, I am slightly worried that 
they are going to try and feature Tony in a couple of things. And the thing <laughs> is, he has the ability to to do stuff. He's very elusive with ball in hand and stuff, but it's just it's just a question of trust and reliability. And I would be very, very worried about that uh, yeah. coming into like, this. I, yeah. I, I do see a role for MVS as, as a deep option, as a threat, yeah. just to have him to keep the, the, the secondary honest, basically, to yeah. have someone like MVS who can, who can be relied to occasionally catch uh, deep balls, but not to, not to, not to build a game plan around him and maybe only do it once or twice during the game. But I see that as being maybe the only thing that they can do that is like a, a fake out bluff kind of thing. Cause I don't mm. think, I don't think the Niners are going to fall for, you know, Oh, Kadarius Tony's in this. They'll definitely use him comprehensively during this game. Like, yeah. like, I think the thing is it's San Francisco will know that Kansas city only have certain players that they can rely on. And so it, it's a very simple game in terms of the chess match. You know what they're going to do. It's just about whether you can do it or not. But well, I, yeah, I, 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 I see I see a role for MVS. I don't necessarily see a role for anybody else on, on the receiving core. Like, like the scary thing about Patrick Mahomes is that he's now basically able to play like Tom Brady because all defenses play him to force him to become Tom Brady, get the ball out fast, distribute it, kind of point guard, uh, let your guys make plays. And obviously that requires a defense that's kind of playing too high and, you know, it's playing re- like taking away the deep ball. But yeah, like, you know, if they chose to go... Well, we want to take away Tom the Brady version of Patrick Mahomes, as I said earlier. Like they might quickly find out that yes, MVS isn't a great wide receiver, but Patrick Mahomes is still Patrick Mahomes, and he's happy to go those deep shots if they choose to go one high or something like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think early on it'll be really interesting whether San Francisco just choose to kind of, as I say, take it slow, be bled dry, or if they decide to go more risky and say Let, let's try and beat Mahomes, uh, but. I would say they've probably learned their lesson not to make let. Pa- you know, I'd rather play Tom Brady than Patrick Mahomes, so you might as well play the Tom Brady version of him uh, than the real version of him. Uh, Fair enough. To throw deep. Let's move on then to San Francisco's offense versus Kansas City's defense. So obviously these guys are fronted by Brock Purdy. He's got his haters online. Some people think he's not up to scratch. He's in the Super Bowl, so there's, he's certainly doing something right. This is a team that overall this season has been uh, very, very productive on both sides of the ball. They're fourth in passing yards. They're third in rushing yards. They're third in points scored uh, in the regular season this year. Um, obviously, you know the, the postseason has shown them to be a little bit shakier than that. They played the Packers in the uh, division around that frankly they should have lost that game it was not massively impressive they played the lions and allowed the lions to get uh 20 nearly 20 points up on them was it 18 points that they were ahead something like that uh and you know it was it, it seemed one-sided but then they were able to right the ship so you can see that this is a team that has the ability to be very explosive it has an incredibly large amount of skilled players particularly on the offensive side that if they can get their scheme going they're they're, you know, they're nigh on unstoppable, um, but they're also fragile and can crumble. If Brock Purdy doesn't get the looks he wants or the stuff isn't appearing the way he wants it to, he's inconsistent and he makes mistakes and he throws interceptions. Uh, their wide receivers and their running backs are, are, are very good, but have been stopped before. Uh, as I said, Christian McCaffrey is going to be a, a big focal point of this offense because he is the best running back in the league. And if I'm San Francisco's offense, I am running the ball, running the ball, running the ball, running the ball. I'm doing the opposite of what the Ravens did last week because 
This is uh, this is a team that has, I think, the, the highest yards after contact uh, in in the league. And Christian McCaffrey is, you know, obviously, like I said, the best running back league. And this is a Chiefs defense that is, I think, third last in terms of yardage against uh, running backs. They give up loads of yards on the ground. And it's not really a spot that they tend to adjust well into stopping. If you just focus in on the run, they're fine with it. They're going to try and be opportunistic elsewhere. And sometimes that's what you're going to have to do because this is a this is a very stacked offense from San Francisco. So you've got CMC, who's top end at his position. Debo, who's top end at his position. Brandon Ayuk, who's had a phenomenal season and is very high up. George Kittle, who's probably top three in in, in tight ends. And then they've got a, a wealth of weapons behind that as well. Maybe not like the top names, but, you know, Ray McLeod has provided quite a bit in, in relief. Elijah Mitchell's a good backup running back. Juwan Jennings has had a couple of moments this season. So this is a good team. But they're going against uh, what I think in, in, in the Chiefs is probably the best secondary that we've had, at least in the last 10 years. Um, Legere Sneed, obviously, we saw a lot of him last week, given he punched out the ball and made the biggest play for the Chiefs of the year. Trent McDuffie is playing at an excellent level. The safety, Justin Reed, is playing his absolute arse off. Um, Mike Edwards is good, although he had an injury there. So this is going to be a good secondary that's going to be taking on these weapons. At the linebacker core, you have very good with good depth as well um, although there's consider- considerations of a potential injury that might still be lingering for Willie Gay but you've got Nick Bolton in the middle you got Gay and Tranquil on the outside and then you've got other guys like Leo Chanel and, 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 and that who can kind of come in as needs be but it's a very solid uh, linebacker core. They're very good at rushing. They're very good at uh, at covering down the stretch but like they don't key in on the run game. So I think that's the weakness that these guys can definitely exploit. Spagnola has been doing a lot with interesting looks. I was, I was watching a couple of kind of deep dives on what is going, like what the Kansas City Chiefs defense is doing that kind of helps them out so much. A lot of it is just these massively disguised looks. So they have all of the corners, all the safeties, and a couple of the linebackers can all interchangeably play multiple positions. So they can constantly show too high or zero and then swap in which players are covering where or swap into a cover one or whatever you want to do in that spot. And I think that is hopefully the dial they're going to be able to to turn here. Brock Purdy, for all of the good he has, is inexperienced and does get confused when he doesn't get his initial reads or whenever his defensive scheme that he's kind of lined and set himself to moves around. So I think that's their, their best hope to try and cause issues because, you know, CMC is incredible. Their line is pretty good. And I, like our defensive line for the Chiefs side is... is suffering a couple of injuries at the moment. So like look, Karloftis is playing well, Chris Jones is playing well, but maybe not getting the the, the, the sacks that he was before. And you've probably got like Dana and FAU kind of playing off the other end as well. So like it's good. It'll cause pressure. They'll probably like they're probably going to be keying in on the run game to try and stop that. So there might be less pressure on Brock, but more kind of exotic coverages in the back end. So I think that's going to be the element that they're going to have to figure out. And the solution is run the ball or do what they were doing when they needed to right the ship after the four game kind of uh, fall in the middle of the season and just start using Debo from the backfield. A lot of quick balls out and let them try and get past the guys. The tackling is good from the Chiefs, but these are speedsters. Like Ayuk is great at getting down the field. Debo is very elusive while crossing. Like 
I think it's going to be a speed game from San Francisco and they have the personnel for it. But Kansas City's defense, I think, will going to disguise a lot of coverages, cause a lot of problems in the back end. So if, if San Francisco start to lean on the pass, I think they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, this this to me is where the game is won or lost. And it's a very strange thing to say about a team in a Super Bowl. But the less that we hear about San Francisco's quarterback, the less that Brock Purdy becomes a focus of this game, the better it actually will be for the 49ers. Because he's not the guy who can win this game for the Niners, but he's definitely the guy who can lose it. And if we're hearing, if Purdy features an awful lot in the broadcast, it's because they're passing too much. It's because the, the Kansas City, the pressure is, is is causing him trouble or the schemes are making him make mistakes. And the less we hear about him, the better. Because the more this game from an offensive side San Francisco is about CMC running the ball against what we know to be a, a fairly weak run defense, the more it's about Bert, Purdy facilitating fancy things from Debo or from Ayuk or, or Kittle, the more they'll be able to make hay. Because we definitely saw, and it was one of the, I think the big one of the changes that San Francisco made in the second half of the D- Detroit game was they 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 made it about their stars. They they said they they basically Shannon sat down CMC and Debo and Ayuk and, and whoever and said, look, we got you guys got to win this game. You got to win your one on ones. You and, and to a certain extent, the Lions fell into the trap. They started playing too much man in that situation but but it becomes about you guys it, it, it is to know almost a certain extent the same thing as the, as the Kelsey problem on the other side it's all about whether these guys can win their individual battles and whether you can focus uh, upon that because I think Kansas City's entire game plan in this in this game from a defensive side will be quite similar to what they did to uh, Lamar Jackson in, in the in the AFC championship game is to force him to p- p- uh, pass play and force him to pass under pressure force him to make difficult decisions in pressurized situations which we've seen parties is still quite inexperienced at and is not is not the, the the best decision maker in the world the more that party can be like okay i hand off here and that's me out of it or two step one one second throw the ball to to debo the more the san francisco's offense will work and that to a certain extent means that the play design has to be about the yards after the catch and, and this does to a certain extent fall into what san francisco's strengths are but they have to definitely Focus on that. That the the pre the pre catch or, or the pre run parts of the play have to be comp- incredibly simple, and and everything else has to happen afterwards. So I think it'll be an interesting challenge, both in terms of, of what Shanahan does offensively. Can he can he can he again like like Kansas City? Can he narrow down his game into the into the parts that they know they're going to work? Um, and it'll be very interesting for Kansas City if they can if they can do what they did to the Ravens. If they can p- push them off the run game force them into into a lot of say third and long situations or, or general situations where they ha- you have to think about passing it and then use the pressure to get a purdy or to use schemes to confuse him and, and i think if they do that that's how they will win the game and, and to me the thing that maybe decides for who i think will win this game is i on one side of the ball i trust mahomes uh, and his his star players kelsey etc to be able to get things done in pressure situations if the if it, the chips come down i don't know if i trust purdy to be able to win the game if the game is put in his shoulders then i think kansas city's defensive plan will be entirely about put the ball put the ball in purdy's hands and make him beat us and i don't think he can yeah, and I think from my perspective, it's an interesting choice when you have a, a quarterback like Brock Purdy, because he's not like Jimmy G. He can actually he's quite accurate when he when he throws it deep, and he's obviously able to make plays outside the pocket. He even did a little bit of rushing there in the championship game, um. So he is a factor there, unlike you know where, where Jimmy G had very specific weaknesses that you could key in, and um, when he was the Forty Niners. But I do also think that some of Purdy's worst performances, and the one that stands out in my mind, is probably. Uh, you know some of the ones in the playoffs, but definitely that Ravens game 
uh, during the regular season or on Christmas, um, where the Ravens basically made a choice. They basically went for a no risk it, no biscuit approach, where basically they went, you're not getting the easy dump downs to, to Debo. You're not getting the, you know, the Shanahan West Coast type things. And you're not getting, you're certainly not getting those in rights across the middle that are basically how the Shanahan scheme has taken over the NFL and getting you easy 10, 15 yard things. But we'll give you the outside shots to Ike. We'll give you the kind of big seam rights to, uh, um, to George Kittle. And a few of those will get true. But we also know that when Brock Purdy see you know when Brock Purdy sees something he goes for it he is not afraid um I think that's probably his best element and why he's been so successful because he's added that extra spice he's not just the Shanahan stick quarterback and um, he has that in him to actually make plays by himself but that's also where he's also got into the most trouble um what was it like three interceptions in that game against the 49ers and you know you're talking about sorry against the the, the Ravens and you're talking about someone who you know are you willing to basically take that kind of high risk, high reward approach with Brock Purdy and basically go, we'll offer you those chances. We'll offer you the outside shots. Take us on. See what you can do. You know, and and hopefully, ideally doing that under high pressure situations, as both of you mentioned, where, you know, Spagnolo's designed blitzes or, or, or hidden blitzes uh, get through. And obviously, outside of Trent Williams, this offensive line for San Francisco is, you know, middling to... to, to you know, below average, I would say, like Col- Colton McKissick, I-, I imagine they'll have Karlaftis and Chris Jones lined over McKivitz for large parts of this game because he is the weak point on that uh, of the offensive line and, you know, they'll leave out, you know, Dana or, you know, uh, Uzumoa to, to basically get eaten up by uh, Trent Williams all day and, you know, at least that would be a smart thing to do. And so if you get Brock Purdy in a hurry-up moment but he sees, you know, that they've, they, that they've, you know, they're only one high or something like that. I could see him taking those deep shots. But if there's a disguise there from the linebackers, and you have the quality linebacker core, and you have obviously a very highly well disciplined, well trained defense um, from uh, Spags there, then you could just see extracting those mistakes. The only issue is that I suppose, you know, that the, the, the Chiefs' defense has been amazing this year, but the one thing they haven't got is a lot of picks, I, I believe. Um, you know, so it'd be interesting to see if someone like Snead or McDuffie, you know, maybe take a little bit more, keep their eyes on the quarterback a bit more and are even a bit more aggressive and potentially, you know, not just like swatting the ball away, but potentially getting their hands on it and taking it, you know, in best case world, uh, so for something like a pick six. But I suppose then everyone knows that. Everyone everyone knows that. So obviously you would assume the 49ers would be hoping that they can just run the CMC train right down the middle of this defense. Um, you know, the the strength, you know, the, the, I think you're missing a couple of players on defensive line for the Chiefs. You're missing Nadi, you're missing Omenehu. Um, so, you know, it's not at full strength. And I think they will, you know, they, they might come out early and basically go, here's CMC, can you defeat CMC? It's the final game, we don't have to worry about his legs falling off whatever like that and see if the Chiefs can stop them because we know the run defense even with their starters has been you know mediocre this year um so that's probably what they should do and it's only then really if Spags can successfully sell out to stop CMC um then that other Brock Purdy stuff comes into play um so it'll be really interesting to see how much the Chiefs defense can adjust and basically um hope and unless of course the 49ers basically make the same as Baltimore which was they refuse to run the ball uh, but I don't see Kyle Shanahan being foolish enough that obviously his father was notorious for running the ball uh, to all the way to the Super Bowl uh, back in the day so I don't think you'll have an issue with that so you know I, I think for them it's it's less about being clever like I think this, the 49ers will first try to beat you with CMC then try to beat you with yards of the catch and only then um, do I think if the Chiefs successfully shut those down and stop them getting enough success via those routes will you then see okay Purdy it's your time to shine see if you can do it and then it could turn into a, a really exciting back and forth um, you know 
battle because this Chiefs defense is incredibly talented but as you all both guys have already said you know with, with Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and Jennings and Mitchell and Joyce Tech and all the rest of the guys there's lots of talent there it's going to be really tough to stop them all they're going to be big plays but you know it could be about the swapping the big plays back and forth and even though Spags defense isn't as much about creating the big plays as it was like two or three years ago you know I, I don't think he would mind maybe going back to the well and, and going back to the more aggressive style if it's required yeah like it's like I said, I think I think it is a fairly straightforward route for them is to just get the ball rolling on the run game. Just keep that as the focus. And then, you know, if that then starts opening up stuff with people scooping down with having extra linebackers in the box or whatever, then maybe then they start opening up the stuff underneath. But yeah, I think San Francisco's route is to get the run game established early and often and, uh, and then kind of work from there. Uh, so we'll look at the coaching side of things now. So we've got Andy Reid, obviously been in the league forever, has two Super Bowl rings, has uh, four Super Bowl appearances, I think it is at this point. Mm. Um, he's, uh, you know, Found great success well, here as a coach, at the head coach. As, as a yeah, um, but yeah, like you know, he's he's kind of known a little bit as as Sean was saying, like Route One football. You know, just stick to the guys you know and everything. Andy is a little bit kind of infamous for not doing that. He likes to do weird plays. He likes to do funny stuff. Was it cheeseburger the one where that they used to the Eagles where they realized that there was you know. Uh, a problem with how they handed off players so he just like have them sit down underneath hide behind a player and catch the ball coming out with no one covering them he had his you know ring around the rosies last year the year beforehand against the 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 um against the raiders he has kind of just a cavalcade of these weird plays that he has drawn up i can't help but fear that we're going to get at least one and i normally love them as long as they're not too crazy uh my my concern is he also has a reputation for wanting redemption stories uh and wanting guys to come back in so like i'm just i just don't want to see the ball being put into the hands of certain players on this team with uh with these fiddly bullshits uh i presume we all expect there will be at least one weird trick play right yeah, oh, yeah, something that stands out, yeah. And, like, I, like you know, like it wasn't a trick play, but the way he, you know, obviously Tony, very tough year this year, but in the Super Bowl last year, in terms of the offense, he also had the big special teams play. You know, that kind of uh, coming in and back out, a route kind of worked twice against Philly in the red zone, kind of set up two of their touchdowns. So, you know, that's not a trick play, but it's kind of more tricksy uh, type play, you know, not, not what you expect based on what they've done here. And I think it'll be interesting because obviously this year was such a challenge for the Chiefs on offense. Like so many things didn't work. They never really found that groove, except as I said, and basically didn't get the groove till the playoffs. You know, has he, you know, like I think a lot of why they were doing fun things is because the whole thing was working so well. It's like, why not do some additional stuff? I love doing fun stuff. Mahomes loves doing fun stuff. But how much have they been, I don't want to say humbled, but kind of how much have they like learned, okay, maybe the bullshit sometimes comes back and hurts you. Um, You know, like the, Raven, like the, the Raiders game this year, like a lot of special teams play didn't work out there. Like, and how much will he in the Super Bowl? Okay, it's a one-off game, you know, I've been saving the really good stuff for this and I'm confident based on the last two games that we've got the, the base is now there that, you know, putting the icing is now actually available to you or not. But I think there'll at least be one play that will stand out. It's just like, I don't think you can see an Andy Reid offense or an Andy Reid tree offense not do something interesting uh, when they're given a chance in the Super Bowl. Obviously, uh, you know, Philly uh, back in the day, we were from the Andy Reid tree and they did the Philly special and stuff as well. And I think, I think the big thing to look out for there is obviously Travis Kelsey you know, high school quarterback, uh, he could be involved in a trick play, or maybe they might try and run that lateral thing against that 
worked so well against the Bills if only uh, Tony can line up properly this time. Uh, so, yeah, they'll have something. And, I, again, I think it's the, the more that they will be just a... Kelsey does, a, a, does a, a second pass kind of thing, and the less it's like MVS does some sort of weird infinity loop r- r- route running thing, uh, the better they'll be. But, like, and let's be honest, like, in terms of the coaching, like, Andy Reid, he's been here, he's done that, he's won a couple of rings now, the kind of the, the, the monkeys off the back and stuff like that, and, you know, they, you know, I think they'll be a little bit humble about them this year, so they won't be maybe as fun as they were, you know, in the, the early years of the Bombs yeah. era, but the pressure is on Shanahan, right, obviously, mm-hmm. not just as a head coach experience in terms of the previous Super Bowl against Kansas City, but obviously the OC during the 28-3 and three stuff, he... I imagine mm-hmm. he must be desperate he to, is, to he's redeem snake his. Bit. Yeah, he he is desperate to win this. I imagine there was there was a description I I read online of him uh, during the week, and I think it's actually quite fitting. Shanahan is kind of Andy Reid beforehand, so you know is considered up the top section of the league. Obviously, has lots of you know coaches who've worked with him working elsewhere and his tree is kind of rich and has lots of leaves everywhere but hasn't managed to pull it off in the big game and in fact the times have been there have gone quite badly for them so like he is kind of like andy before he got his ring at the moment Uh, extra pressure of being you know a super bowl winning coach's son as well yeah doesn't help does it does does not help that at all um i think that the the head coach analysis there though like obviously you know the the big Big knock at them as well for the last little while is that they were never really good at coming back from behind. And then we saw just even two weeks ago when they were playing the Lions that like this team was able to rally hugely from a massive three score deficit and come back. So definitely some of that is gone. That kind of bad juju around the around the team seems to have disappeared a little bit. Um, so yeah, like you, you, particularly when you look at that coming back from three scores down against a team that was absolutely like walloping them in the last round that's shows an awful lot of mindset that he's built into the team that they don't get frazzled by being down by a large amount or anything like that and look a lot of things had to break right for that to to go their way but it did and they kept their heads up and in the game so i don't think we're going to have the kind of head go down stuff that i think was it was they were 30 and old when Trade oh and 31 trailing by more than seven points in the fourth or something and then now it's kind of the first big win it depends though like you could see that as the 49ers learning their lessons they, they've now got over that like that we can do the comebacks we're going to believe we're in this the whole way um and you know for certain people who are still in the staff that they, they'll obviously you know know that they could have caught like they had the chance to win that previous Super Bowl against kansas city if jimmy g had made that deep shot uh, towards the end of the game as well um but i would caution that those comebacks yes they're in the playoffs in a high pressure situation i think that does give the indication that at least i think in terms of the quarterback and brock purdy i think you definitely have someone who's definitely willing to to, to take the risks required to do those kind of comebacks whether they, they work or not we'll see uh but the big thing is that both those teams you were talking about a Green Bay team that's basically one of the youngest rosters in NFL history. And in Detroit, you had a team which is, you know, very idiosyncratic and also, you know, first no NFC championship appearance level, yeah. in, in, in 30 years, you know, like a huge amount of pressure on them and like a huge, like obviously, and they, as you said, they kind of made high risk, high reward decisions. The Lions, which allowed the 49ers back in and the, the 49ers had a bit of luck with the fumbles as well. Now you're going up against effectively the team that's closest to peak Patriots where you know they don't make mistakes they don't give you anything you know and that was how they beat the Ravens they basically won the first you know quarter and a half of the game and then they went all right beat us and until you beat us we're just gonna not give you 
nothing we're not going to give you anything so the 49ers aren't going to get those fourth down convert like failures they're not going to get those uh certainly not unless the analytics say very much in favor of it they're not going to get those fumbles it feels like because that's not what the chiefs have been doing down the stretch here in the playoffs when the games have actually mattered um and not certainly what they've done historically like you know everyone on this chiefs roster mostly they know what they're doing they've been here before they're not going to be overawed by the occasion you know the pressure isn't really on them they've they the vast majority already have their rings um so the pressure like if the 49ers do go down like if they can do a comeback if they can actually manage that then you know shanahan will have slain a lot of dragons in this uh post in this postseason but you know right now you got to do it against the real deal now you're not playing the the you know the, the the cardiac cats you're not playing you know the green bay boys you're playing the kansas city chiefs and you're playing people who've been there done that and are not going to give you anything for free you've got to do it yourself well, I, I would say two things in defense of Shanahan in regards to this in terms of the comebacks. The first one is, as we saw against the Lions, he, he was very clear in not getting away from the parts of the game plan that worked. They had to redesign their offensive game plan to focus on their star players. But for example, they stuck with, even down 17 points, they stuck with the run game to the bitter end, which is, you know, some, I keeping to your especially starting to turn against it and you know in this particular situation if they do find themselves down and they stick to the the run game they will be able to to get some hay against this Kansas City defense the other thing is they do have just incredible talent on the offensive side and that makes them kind of a, a very much a momentum team they they have this ability to just score a lot of points very quickly because they they get into their groove and CMC starts doing his thing and Debo breaks a few tackles and suddenly they've scored like 21 points in eight minutes or something like they they definitely are a team you can see that if the momentum swings their way they they can score a lot of points in a hurry even against a, a very good offense and I take your point that the, the Lions made some mistakes but I I think there is something in this idea that this version of Shanahan's 49ers is slightly different from previous versions both in terms of what the, he's doing on a coaching side when they fall behind and in terms of the, the sheer talent that they have and the ability to score a lot of points as a result. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, they are more talented, but I do think Brock Purdy is the big... Because I think Brock Purdy does play like a man who, you know, doesn't worry about the score. He's like, look, I'll do what I think will maximize our chance of winning. And even if that's the risky thing to do, and if that's the thing we're saying he shouldn't do, we don't want that to happen. But I think the big difference between this version of Shanahan and why they, I think they've started winning, they, they kind of won those comeback games that they have a quarterback now who isn't just, you know, he's not like a Jared Goff or, or, or a Jimmy G. He's actually... You know he plays a lot more ballsy than you would expect i think you know the game manager tag because he's mr relevant doesn't suit him at all he is someone who wants to play big is happy to play book if he has to ideally they won't have to do that and i think that's the best short route for them winning the game but if there's a comeback attempt here I, I give them a lot more chance than i would usually but i do think this is a completely different ball game like you know this is playing you know peak patriots type era type game a, a team um and we know that you know the patriots won a lot of super bowls against a lot of teams that were probably objectively better and more talented than them but you know when you get to the end to these margins to these things you know that experience that ability to not be shaken by no matter what's happening around you that can make all the difference when it matters and speaking of that, we kind of talked about how both these teams have quite talented defences. When we look at the special teams, look, there's obviously kickoffs and stuff, but the, particularly the Chiefs have been a team that have leaned quite heavily on their kicker, Butker. Uh, and particularly if it becomes a close game, if it's a high-pressure situation, we say Jake Moody, the kicker for the 49ers, would possibly be a bit of a concern for me. Yeah, bit a like, bit of nominative determinism there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he's mercurial, um, but yeah, no, because like 
because even just coming into this, he's he's not on a great streak at the moment. So like their last their last game of the season, uh, he missed his one field goal. Uh, in, against Green Bay, he missed a field goal. Against Detroit, he missed a field goal. Like he has had problems there, whereas Butker has just been like you know we say postseason one of one but like you know he's pretty much six of six against the Cincinnati like he kind of he, he, he's almost automatic this year at this stage like he's just he's he's very very strong so I think if it comes down into close fought battles and people not being able to score the touchdowns that they want I think that's definitely kind of a big a big separator between the two if uh, if I'm looking at them um I suppose are we are we excited about the surrounding elements are we excited about Usher it's like a seven out of ten option. Uh, I think I no. said that at the time. <laughs> it's fine. Like he's he's got a good back catalog. He's got a good number of like people who could show up, which would be fun. Uh, but he doesn't have like the Rihanna or even uh, some other person who might be there, who's a music person, like you know, superstar factor. He's got, but he's a good performer. He'll put on a good show. It'll be like seven out of ten. No one will complain, but no one will go. That's the best of all time, you know. Yeah. And I suppose coming off a couple of ones that were pretty hot, I think that's it's a bit of a step down but it's fine yeah it's uh it's a kind of that's i think it's a spot where i think usher is large bigger in the states than he is uh over here so i think there's a, a bigger following there i also believe he may have a new album out as well so he I, does yeah. although he i imagine a... he'll just be playing the hits rather than anything new in this yeah. one i understand he had like one thing that got into the charts last year so it, like he has the back catalog to just do the hits but yeah he might mix in like one Mm. more recent song that you won't have heard of yeah and we will probably have the nfl cameras cutting to taylor swift in the luxury box if she manages to make it instead being like maybe maybe we'll get her next year uh, i actually don't know if she's going to be able to make it because yeah, she's uh, playing gigs in japan like taylor yeah. swift would be really hilarious to see mm. Uh, I am I am enjoying the fact that this is taking place in Vegas. Uh, so obviously, uh, since moving there, the Raiders have not made the playoffs. So the first points and touchdowns scored will either be by a hated divisional rival or an ex hated cross the bay rival uh, in this one. So that's always very very exciting for me. I, I, I quite like it. This is the full circle story of I don't know if you guys remember the the story of the uh, builder who was working on site for uh, the 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 making of the stadium here. He was a Chiefs fan who buried a Chiefs flag and put it under concrete within the building so that the Chiefs would always be in the building. And uh, now we're gonna gonna get uh, probably some very salty salty Raiders fans after this. Although how many Raiders fans actually live in Vegas is is, is a whole other question uh, unto itself, I suppose. Uh, it's, talk about Justin Fields until they do or don't trade for him, basically. Uh, but like, look for Taylor Swift. Like the Taylor Swift stuff is tedious. Like I I won't disagree with that, but. It's not her fault. It's just no. Like, it's also it is actually a surprisingly small amount of the of the broadcasts. Like to cut her once or twice normally. Like maybe there was a bit more in the last one, given Kelsey had eleven catches. But like you know, she's like the biggest, probably the most famous person in the world right now. Uh, Certainly in terms of being just a celebrity, celebrity, yeah, um, uh, entertainer. Like so, like it's fair enough. Like and yeah, Uh, yeah, they'll probably want to get her back to actually play. But you know. When they start paying people, I'm sure she might consider playing a Super Bowl halftime show. Yeah. Uh, or maybe a few years down the line when, you know, inevitably her star will dim because it's hard to be, you know, the most famous person forever. I I, I could see her singing her Travis Kelsey breakup album at, at releasing it <laughs> at, at a Super Bowl halftime as an act of spite, definitely. Mm. That's a that's a exciting hot take there from Sean now, yeah. Very good. <laughs> uh, okay, so 
we will go to kind of our predictions now. Uh, we'll give, give kind of a little flavour of how you think the match is going to go and then give your score, I suppose. We'll start with you, Sean. Yeah, so as, as my analysis kind of indicated, I'm expecting a lower, lower score game than perhaps we would expect from two fairly famous high-powered offences. Uh, I think it's going to be a lot of field goals. I think it's going to be the Kansas City, the Chiefs trying to control the clock offensively uh, and keeping San Francisco off the field as much as possible. And it, I think it's going to fall on Purdy to have to step up and do some things. So I see I see a lot of field goals in this game. So I've got Kansas City winning 19-17, uh, which would be that's four field goals for, for Butker and one on the other side. So possibly a last-minute winner, a last-minute kind of kick to win it. But uh, definitely there'll be a lot of Harrison but Butker action uh, in this one, I think. Okay, very good, Ronan. Yeah, I broadly agree with Sean. Like, honestly, I I I find it hard to predict. I think the playoffs, thankfully, have probably been a bit more exciting, a bit more action than we expected outside of the the Kansas City Baltimore championship game. That was probably more close to what we saw during much of the regular season, which was this was a year for the NFL in which defenses felt like they had the better of the offenses for the majority of it. But that's turned a little bit recently, so maybe it will be a bit more high scoring, like I think as you expect, Connor. But I do think the Chiefs will win. As I said, like they have that quote unquote championship mentality. They do have that feel of basically, you know, that like they're already a dynasty, but like becoming a proper like juggernaut. Everyone hates you just because you're too good. Uh you know, it's harder to hate them because they're not quote-unquote cheating and stuff like that but they're still a team this good of never gets haters um so i do think the chiefs will get it done i have a 21 to 18 a pretty close low scoring game um not dominated by offense but i think a shootout is more possible than i thought at the beginning of the playoffs because i do think teams have figured out some things about beating defenses that didn't seem to be there during the regular season and that's true for both these teams and just in general yeah, I'm uh, constantly, as, as, as you guys do, upping and downing <laughs> my score. I'm just going to go with a slightly more outside the box. One. So I think we're going to see uh, the offenses work pretty well. I think we're going to see a defensive score from the Kansas City Chiefs side. I think we're going to get the kickers involved in the game, but then I think uh, the Chiefs are going to be able to salt it away. I'm going to take the idea that possibly... Because the Chiefs have the linebacker core and the very good secondary, that they will take the Baltimore Ravens template and apply that and be able to lock down this offense a little bit more. Uh, it won't happen at the start. The initial scripted part uh, will be the Sam Framble score in their opening drive and then maybe kick a field goal on the second one and stuff. But Chiefs are going to then lock down, figure out what they're going to do with it, clamp it down. Their offense is going to get going in spurts and Chiefs win 30 to 20. Uh, in a game that then they're able to kind of close it out. I'm not sure if that's that they kick a field goal and let the guys have like a final possession or if it's that it's at that for more than three or four minutes before the end. But yeah, that's roughly where I'm at, where I'm, at, where I'm thinking at the moment. Uh, now, obviously, this is a huge bit of salt because we've said this universally. It means that the San Francisco 49ers will win. So that is uh, always always nice to know. Um, but yeah, so that's that, that's roughly where we are. I am kind of surprised we all went for Kansas City, given the 49ers are maybe slightly favourites. Hmm. I'm I'm surprised as well to be honest. Like I I kind of have to because you know I support my boys and I have to look at the the the, the upside of it. Um, like. Really hardcore analytics head might say they can't stop CMC. The guys get a couple of explosive plays over the top and the Chiefs offense falters a little bit, falling to what they were doing beforehand. And it ends up being uh, all like a 27 to 18 kind of job for, for, for San Francisco. If they can get the run game going and their defense can shut down Rice and Kelsey, then I think they are onto a, a good spot. But I like... 
Reed's ability to adjust, and we saw it in the previous Super Bowl uh, Fifty Four. So I'd, I'd, I'd never, I'd never count them out, even if we're behind at halftime. To be honest, uh, I think it's going to be an exciting game, though. I think this is a good matchup. I think we're going to see strength on strength, and I think it's going to be quite, quite a hard fought and exciting with some explosive plays. So I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, I think the Forty ers have more way, like they have more ways to get to a winning scenario. But I don't think they win as many scenarios, if that makes sense. Effectively, you know, if the, the Fortnite is play well and they're doing their thing, they will win because they're. I think they are more talented. But the Chiefs feel like a team that, at this point, based on where they are and because they have Patrick Mahomes, you could just never count them out. And as I said, they're not going to give you that. Like they don't see them doing stupid stuff and collapsing in and on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, just because what they've done in the toughest moments of the season, when the chips have been down in this playoff run, it just looked like vintage Chiefs, and that's. You know, been pretty much unstoppable. It feels like over the last four or five years. Yeah, fair enough. Well, we will not be doing a a, a live drunk cast after the uh, after the show this time round. Uh, the uh, the 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 you know the the sunrise sunset continues where we do it. We realize it was a terrible idea. We don't do it for a year. So next year we will probably be doing another live post the uh, post the NFL one. I will probably take some audio around the table in the pub so we can cut in some of the uh, the strong and definitely well-reasoned opinions that we will have uh, during, you know, beer eight of the game or whatever. But um, <laughs> no, I'm looking forward to it now. It should be fun. We're going out for, for a bite to eat before and for a few of us. Any, any other plans for the rest of the week or are we just all in prep mode now? There's a bit of rugby on, so I'll probably see that. But other than that, yeah, pretty much uh, all about yeah, the there, football, baby. There is some, there is some hipster German football on Saturday that I might watch. But uh, other than that, it's all NFL all the time. Very exciting, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the similar kind of just getting myself lined up for it. I'm going, I'm going out tomorrow uh, to meet a friend for a couple of pints, and we're going to play darts. Uh, we've been meaning wow. to do it for a while, but they've, uh, they've put a, they've put a new dartboard in. Uh, the back page i think it's one of these ones that then does the counting for you which is annoying because i quite like doing the counting part it makes me feel smarter when i'm drunk uh look at me i'm 16 years old uh, (laughs) i can can do real quick maths see i can definitely have another pint uh but yeah so uh looking forward to to giving that a shot and that stuff but um yeah no should be should be good fun hopefully a choose to win but uh either way I think it'll be a good Super Bowl. Pumped for it excited and i suppose that'll wrap us up for this week so it's bye from myself bye from ronan Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening and we'll chat to you next week. Bye.